1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses, and then I want to just ask God to, to take this gospel we're going to look at this morning and open our eyes to see what He, need, what he wants us to see. First 14. First Timothy is written by a man named Paul. He's a spiritual leader in the church. He's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to his spiritual son, a young man, probably in his 30s now, Timothy. That's why it's called Timothy. He's, he's in a church called Ephesus. And God inspired or gave the Holy Spirit to Paul to write this letter in order for this church to read and learn and obey. And in, and in fact, it wants us to learn, read, and obey. Look at verse 14. Paul writes, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance that I am the foremost or the worst. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of ages... Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, right now I ask that you would help me and everyone in this room I pray that you would help us to forget all other distractions and that right now we would be honed into the message that you have for us, that this is a gospel that we absolutely need. We need to come to grips with. And if we do not cherish it, we should be really concerned. And if we're cherishing it some, oh God, I pray that we would cherish it more. And if we have never experienced it, oh God, I think there are some in this room that you would be drawing and opening their minds and hearts to receive the message of the good news and have their lives forever changed. Help us to be a church that cherishes the gospel and never gets over it. Amen. Okay. I began this week, after an introduction last week, ten weeks with a few breaks in between with Easter and others. I want to take ten sermons in this little letter, six chapters in the letter of 1 Timothy to bring you what I think are the themes of 1 Timothy, the messages of 1 Timothy. Timothy is a letter that's written and he says, I want you in chapter 3, verse 15, just like if you were writing a letter, you might in the middle or at the beginning, you might say, and by the way, I'm writing this letter just to let you know this, and you give the purpose of it. Paul did that. And he said, the purpose of my letter is that you would know how to behave in God's house, but not just his building. He means his God's family, God's church. So each Sunday, I want us to ask the question, how ought we to behave in God's house? 
This first week I want us to see the answer to that is we ought to behave in God's church or as God's people by cherishing the gospel and never getting over it. I want you to ponder these phrases as though you had never heard them before. Paul says this in writing different letters about this word called the gospel. In Romans, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do we believe that? Do you know what that means? The gospel is something we are so not ashamed of, we would go to prison for it. We give our lives for it because it is the power of God that brings salvation. Galatians, he wrote, Galatians 1.8. He tells the church, if we or even an angel came to you, and started preaching to you a gospel that is different than the one we preached to you, meaning not consistent with what we told you, let him be accursed. Literally, let him be eternally damned. If he preached something that is wrong or contrary or against what the gospel is. But it's really important. Paul writes to Timothy in the second letter and says, Timothy, we're pri- we've been prisoners for the gospel and share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And lastly, he writes to a church in Philippi in Philippians 1 and says, Church, let worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul is consumed with the gospel. So much he's ready to go to prison for the gospel, to suffer for the gospel. He's able to go to Rome and lose his literal head because of the gospel. And he pleads with us, let the gospel be central to your life. My message this morning, and I see it in 1 Timothy, I encourage you to make your, your Make it your weekly study to take 1 Timothy and at least read it once, maybe a few times. It probably takes about 15 to 20 minutes slowly reading to actually get through all of these six short chapters. And one of the things that I want you to start to see is the importance of Jesus Christ, the saving God. God our Savior and Jesus our hope and the gospel. So this morning, I want to. Ch- I, this is the message. This is a message that I pray that not just me and my little talk here will say, hey, just do this, and it becomes an inspirational speech. But I pray that God will speak to each of our minds and our hearts that leads to our wills, our determination, because it's coming from Him from within, that we would cherish the gospel. And we would never get over it. Never. I mean, have you, have you, what kind of setting do you hear? Cherish this. You might see it here at a marriage conference. Cherish your wife. 
Cherish your husband. Cherish your marriage. Care about it. Cultivate it. Don't neglect it. What do we mean by that? We mean love your wife literally and care for her needs. Put her as a priority and don't forget she's a priority. Don't forget that your husband matters. That this marriage, you care about it and it needs to be cherished. Or we cherish. What do we do when we cherish something? Well, this morning, I just want to challenge us in five ways. The the longest way will be the first one, and that is, would you cherish the gospel by knowing it? You You can't cherish something you don't know. And then by experiencing it, if you haven't experienced it, and I'd ask you all to pray, oh God, help me to experience it in more fullness. Help me, help me to experience what this gospel means in my life. And then by living it, God's ways and plans, including this thing called the gospel that I'm about to define, is meant to, to go with us every day of our lives. Not just at church on a Sunday or not just when we're at small group or life group or small groups. But to live with us and to parent with us and to suffer with us and to live all of our existence. And and we would share it and we would defend it. Next week is about defending it. Okay. We can't cherish, number one, cherish the gospel by knowing it. We can't cherish what we do not know. I want to ask you, do you know the gospel? What is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. That's literally what it means. But it is a particular message. It's not just the mess, it's not just well, what the Bible is, though the Bible contains centrally the message of the good news about something. I pray that every Sunday from this, well, it's kind of a pulpit, this pulpit and whoever's up here will declare to you the gospel and the implications of the gospel in our lives. I, there are some of you in this room that are being prayed for because you haven't yet had the gospel birth that takes place in a person if they're to really be saved. And it's the gospel that does it. Paul had not gotten over the gospel. He has been now a Christian for decades and he writes to Timothy and he's going to say, you need to defend the gospel because we're going to see this next Sunday. There are people that are perverting the gospel. They're twisting the gospel. You're going to learn about that in some ways practically in America if you watch one of this this video, The American Gospel. And he writes to them and he starts to warn Timothy about what to teach and what, who to guard against, and then he can't help himself because he has not gotten over the gospel, and he has to give his own personal testimony. And he says, starting in verse 12, he says, I was totally against the gospel. I was against God. I, Jesus Christ, all his followers, I tried to persecute. I was a persecutor, and I was... Uh, an opponent, and I was a blasphemer against God. I, I cursed Jesus Christ. 
And God rescued me. And so he says, I've got to give this message to you. Do you know what the gospel is? Look with me at verse 15. Charles Spurgeon says, here's the gospel in one verse. It so brings so many things together in one verse. Look at verse 15. This saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. If anything, you need that preface, you say, this is trustworthy. Believe it. If you don't believe me, believe this. This is inspired by God, and it's worthy of full acceptance. Don't reject it. If you reject it, you'll be lost, but accept it. And it's this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of whom I was the worst. And then he gives the reason. So, so, and then he goes on in verse 16 and he says, here's the reason God did it for me. And I would say it's a reason why he saves all people. And then he does something that salvation leads to in verse 17. So 15 says, here's the gospel. 16 says, here's the reason of the gospel. Verse 17 says, and this is what the gospel ends up doing in your life. Verse 15, it says, here's the gospel. I'm going to get there. It's, it's Jesus Christ came into the world. He died on the... It doesn't say all this. He's inferring it to so many other places that he talks about. He died on the... He came into this world. He, he has never sinned. He is God. And so therefore, he can take on a on the task that none of us could ever take on. He perfectly obeyed His Father God. He came to earth. He was crucified on a cross, took upon Himself our sins, and He was buried, and three days later, He rose from the dead, and He saved sinners. Now, verse 16 says, well, you want to know why He does this? Well... But he says, I receive mercy as the worst of sinners. Because, so Jesus would put on display so that I would be like a trophy display for God's goodness, His mercy, His kindness. And so God would go, you want, you want to see how loving I am? I take terrible sinners and I make them beautiful. You, you see this person? He was so messed up, and I put my mercy and grace on him, and see me in him now? He says, the reason why I was saved, now I'm going to extend it to us, the reason why he would save any sinner like you and me is so that he would display his patience, so you would display his love, display his goodness to us. And then verse 17, you might look at, if you look at verse 17, it says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. It's a list of things about God. And you say, what is he doing? He just can't help himself. He's praising. He stops and he goes, to him be praise. And he describes this king of ages who will never die. He's invisible now. He's in heaven. The only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And he worships this God. And you see, God saves you in order to make you, instead of a worshiper of yourself, a worshiper of God from the heart as he shows off his glory. Now, I just want to just park here for a second on this phrase. Jesus Christ 
came into the world to save sinners. What's our problem? I mean, the problem here is we're sinners. The good news, you said, but Pastor Daniel called it the good news. The gospel is the good news. The good news starts with some really devastating truths about you and me that you will not actually get any goodness out of the goodness. In fact, you are in a big trouble if you don't first understand something about yourself. And there's some important things that we often don't get in this modern age. And I want you to think about that for a minute. And the first thing that I want you to think about is that every person is condemned before God with a moral guilt against Him. We are guilty, and that is a really big deal. Not that we just feel guilty. I don't feel guilty. Well, there's reasons why we might not feel guilty. Or you might say, I feel really guilty. Help me, Pastor. The reality is every single human being is born into this world and grows up into this world morally guilty before God, and it's a really big deal, and they are a condemned person. Worse than any condemned person that is guilty before a judge and a jury and is put on death row, and he is sentenced to life and then actually execution. Paul knows he is a sinner. Though he was a law keeper for a long time, he tried to do things to earn God's favor. He says, I have the worst of sinners. He's going to write later to the he's going to write to Romans and say, All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. By our own fault and word and thought and deed, we sin in the things we do, and we think sin by not doing the things we ought to do. And our greatest problem in this world is not that we had bad upbringing. Our biggest problem is not that we have some physical problem. It is that we actually have a sin heart problem, that we have rebellion to God. And we are not, and, and the fact is, we are not in loving obedience and service to this God who made us to love Him. He made us to know and enjoy and experience Him. And Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. I want to say to you, if you do not understand and recognize that you are a sinner in desperate need of a saving, you cannot be saved until you understand this. Because you see, it goes deeper than this. We live in a culture, in a modern world, where, well, we just kind of tolerate wrong behavior and sin. We, Well... In our society, if somebody does something, we just try to tolerate, push it to the side until it gets really bad, out of control, then we kind of deal with it. But that's not the way God is as a holy and just God. He always and rightly will punish sins. He's holy. He's fully pure. He's just, better than any just judge. And he will bring about what's called retributive justice upon all. As true as we breathe there, God will bring justice. As true as the sun will go up, he will bring justice upon sin. He, will, he cannot clear the guilty. And I just said, we're all guilty. The condemned person is sentenced to death and he's going to execute us because of our sins. That is the message that the gospel begins with. 
The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry or a living God. The payment of sin is death, Romans 6 says. And Paul knew that he was under the sentence of death and that judge wasn't going to just let it slide or forget. He was going to take care of it and it was a big deal. And he also knew, and the Scriptures also teaches, that you and I can do nothing to get out of this debt in ourselves. We can do nothing to get ourselves out of the sentence of death. We are in that prison cell of our condemnation of guilt and shame. And it's coming upon us and God will judge us. And there is nothing we can do. We can't bribe the judge. We can't offer to promise to do better later. And then maybe he'll let it slide and give us one more chance. That's not how God's holy justice works. He, we have no hope. There's no recourse we have that we can do in ourselves. And lastly, God is not a judge that could ever, would ever listen to a bribe or receive anything. He does not. He is completely free to do what He wills. The only thing that we could demand of God is not forgiveness, but justice. And if we got justice from God, we're in trouble because we're all under the sin penalty. Before I move on here, I do believe that one of our problems is we do not understand the grace of God in our lives because we don't know how bad it was before we got His grace. We just think God just gave us a little nudge. God just helped us, met us halfway. I wasn't that bad before God. We don't understand how bad we are and how bad of a situation we are in and we need a Savior. And Paul can't get over this, that he was in that situation, but it didn't end that way. What must be done? You and I, Paul needed a miracle. The good news is a miracle happens from God. We needed God to change the equation. We needed him to do something that we could not do, we could never deserve happen to us. And that's the good news. The good news of the gospel is the breathtaking truth that a just and holy God is also a God of grace and goodness. He, and He's an all-wise God. He was able to do something with His wisdom. He could be just and a justifier. He could keep the law and punish sin while also forgiving and having mercy upon us and making us His children and friends. Grace is the reality behind the goodness of God that comes to us in the gospel and brings salvation. So Paul could say, God, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, hear this. You can be saved. Paul said that God's grace overflowed to him. He says it in so many places, but never so clearly as in Romans chapter 3, verses 23. And following, he says, all have sinned and they all fall short of the glory of God. They're in big trouble and they are justified. That means, big word, justified means to be forgiven and accepted as righteous. We're justified by his grace as a gift. This was through the redemption that is in Jesus, whom God put forward as, another big word, propitiation by his blood, 
to be received by faith. You see, God offers a gift when he gave Jesus to come into the world at Bethlehem at Christmas, to come and live this life, and we celebrate his death and resurrection at Easter time. He justified sinners. He gave us justification by what Jesus going on the cross and taking our sins upon Himself. And He appeased the justice of God and allowed God to give us mercy and grace. Here's a way of saying it. Justification is a dramatic transition from the status of being a criminal or being condemned as a criminal, like I described here, and we're awaiting a terrible sentence to that of becoming an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. And that's what God did for us. Jesus came into the world to take condemned sinners and make them his God's children so that we would enjoy heaven with him forever beginning now. On the death of the cross... God provided a pro- the taking of God's wrath. He's satisfied by the transference from us. We were guilty and condemned sinners to Jesus, bearing the punishment. Oh, there's so many passages that speak to this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. For I delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was pierced for our transgressions. All we like sheep were gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. The Lord has laid upon Jesus our sins. So, what do we do in response? We must be saved. And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Justification, being saved by God. This message of salvation is and must be You get saved by trusting. The moment you put vital trust in the Lord Jesus for Him to save you, and you accept that you're a sinner, and you cry out to Him to save you, He saves you. Now, I know that this is a lot of information, but oh, I pray that each of us would search in the Word of God and so make it true that we know this Gospel. I want... To ask, do you know this gospel? Do you know the gospel that says we are in a terrible situation, in need of grace, and God's grace was enough because He sent His Son Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, that if you accept His gift that He offers to you and you just trust Him, you can't you can't earn it, you can't meet Him halfway. You you have to put. Give empty hands, take his gift, and receive him by faith. And sur- take, take him. He saves you. Do you have a heartfelt trust in this God 
Oh, I pray that we would have, he would show us his mercy at this church. That many of you, if you are here this morning, you would be saved. So my second point is not just, my first point is to know the gospel. My second is, are you experiencing it? And so I invite you right now. I want to invite you right now to receive by faith the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. You might have been in church almost all of your life and you've heard messages about the gospel. You've, been, you've actually prayed a prayer. You were baptized even. But have you received the gospel and experienced it? Have you been justified? Do you believe that you are truly are a sinner and you're in need of His grace and have you reached out to Him? And are you putting your trust in Jesus Christ? I invite you to the grace of God to receive Him today. It's a miracle that he does, and God does miracles. We were dead in our sins, and Satan was blinding us, Corinthians says, and the power of the gospel breaks through and rescues us. Oh, I pray that we would grow to experience the gospel. If you're here this morning, there is nothing that we would want more for you is to know what it really means to experience the life-changing reality of the gospel. There's a few other things that I want to say about the gospel. We need to cherish the gospel by living the gospel. Do you, do, you, do you know what it means to live the gospel? The gospel is not something we get over. It is not something that you pray to prayer. We had nine people get baptized two weeks ago. Okay, they celebrated the gospel. Look what Jesus did in their lives. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm following Jesus now. Now, it's, now we move on to bigger things, better things. No. Paul didn't, and we must never get over the fact that Christ came into the world to save sinners like me. And the gospel is meant to go with us every day of our lives. The condemned man, doomed to eternal despair, when he receives grace, he's a new person. She's a new person and lives differently. The gospel moves us by waking love in us. And realizing He loves us, He adopted See, because the gospel means that He has saved us to an inheritance as family. We are adopted into God's family. He is our Father now, and we now follow Him and we trust Him. And that's why Paul here says, We now praise Him with all our lives. We are brought to a new freedom. You know what the gospel means to you, church? It means that The gospel, the good news that He saved us and made us His own means that all the things that you are looking towards for your purpose in life, your identity, and you're actually failing on it, because we all try to go after things. We try to get an identity from the things we own or by who knows us and our popularity or by our accomplishments. The gospel says, Jesus is enough for you. You're in Jesus. What freedom. The gospel helps us to forgive others. The gospel can free us from the slavery of bitterness. Because in comparison, we have been forgiven so much more. The gospel helps us not to be judgmental or self-righteous. Who could be rescued out of a hole where you have been trapped for decades And then once you get out of that hole, you start ridiculing other people that are in other holes. When the gospel saves you, you you just are free of judging 
instead are now free to loving and showing compassion. The gospel, the good news, when it grips us, should instruct us. Husbands, it should instruct us how we love our wives. That's what Paul wrote. He said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. There's the gospel. And he gave himself for her. The gospel should bring us a humility. Christians should be the last people to be proud, pompous. We may know a lot about God. We have been given the truth, but that gives us no reason to be proud. Instead, we are, we are to be humble, broken, and thankful people. Oh, freed so that we don't have to be so much about ourselves. We can get rid of all that silly look at me. And we can start realizing we're meant for another The gospel means his love will never end in our lives. We can be so secure. And the gospel means that we have a family, God's people, the church. The gospel means that when we suffer, God isn't wasting our suffering. He loves us and he gave himself for us. And he's going to work through our suffering. Oh, I pray that we would not get over the gospel of God's grace in our lives. I just ask you, do you know... Do you you claim to know and love the grace of God in your life? And if so, could you prove your claim by how you live? Do you live the gospel? And I pray lastly, actually, lastly I'll say this morning is do you cherish the gospel so much that you want to share it? Do you have people in your life that you know need the saving work of the gospel? Is it a family member, a a mom or a brother? Is it a neighbor? Is it somebody you work with or somebody you go to school with? Are you embarrassed about your religion or the faith your faith in the gospel? I pray that spiritual growth, but we pray that God will help us to actually share the gospel. If we are to be a faithful church that Paul tells us to behave as part of God's household, we must cherish the gospel so much that our lives are in some ways scheming all the time, not out of a mean scheme. We like we say, God gave me this grace and this love. He saved me. I want others to know it. And if they don't know it, they're lost at home. I'm going to care about bringing the truth of the gospel because I want them to have the same joy. Do you care about that gospel to share that gospel? I would say, why don't we do that enough? Some of it is pride. Some of it is because the gospel hasn't impacted us like it needs to. And sometimes it's because we don't know the gospel. Oh, I pray that we would know, love, cherish, share, because we have experienced the gospel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to two things. One is if you say, this gospel you're talking about, I'm not sure if I've received it. I don't know if I've truly been saved in the way you're talking. I'm not sure if I've surrendered my life and have received the free gift of grace. Will you help me, Pastor? I or someone here in this church, one of the pastors, would love to talk to you about knowing that truth. I invite you also to another way. Uh, it was mentioned already. We have these videos. I have about 25 of them. And if, if you commit to watching this, we'd love to give you this DVD. It's a 2-hour and 11-minute video. It's long and it's rich. You might want to watch it in two or three evenings if you have an attention span like me. 
but it's really, really good, really sound, worth watching and watching over again. It's talking about the richness of the gospel and the perversions or the problems of a false gospel as we go into next Sunday and begin to take this theme further.